Hello, this is Tim Rausenberger with BrassTenor.com. Today is Friday, November 24th, 2017. This is episode 156, Learning the Chromatic Scale and Mastering Difficult Musical Passages. The original title of today's podcast episode was simply going to be learning the chromatic scale. But I realized that there are so many elements and components of learning and mastering any chromatic scale that I decided to pair it with this other very practical lesson, mastering difficult musical passages. Because I find there are so many students and even teachers who don't quite understand the best ways to tackle these two particular issues. So today I'm going to go through the steps and a tried and true method of learning to play the chromatic scale in such a way that it's not just memorized, but it is learned and retained in your fingers, in your memory. The second portion is going to tackle difficult musical passages. In this case, I'm going to use the first suite in E-flat by Gustav Holst, the first cornet part, and I'm going to take a passage which has been very, very challenging for my private students, not just on the trumpet, which I'm going to play for you, but uh, other instruments as well, because it definitely has its issues, uh, particularly in the third movement. Let's first talk about the chromatic scale. The biggest problem that I find when students attempt to learn the chromatic scale is they'll have the entire scale in front of them. And if you have never played it before, or you've seen it before and you haven't fared very well, it's very daunting. It's extremely overwhelming. You're seeing sharps, you're seeing flats, you're seeing all of these notes, you're using different combinations of fingerings, that your fingers are not used to. And that causes a lot of problems, causes a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration for the average student. Before I get into how you do it, I'm going to tackle the more important question. Why do we do it? And what I mean by why is why are we taking the approach we're going to take? Because what I'm going to tell you right now applies not just to the chromatic scale, it applies to any difficult musical passage, it applies to anything in music. We as human beings are wired in such a way. The average human being processes information in 
a particular pattern. And the best way I can explain that, and I say it to all of my students, is number crunching. If you look no further than a phone number, a phone number in the United States is 10 digits long. That is if we omit the one at the beginning. But the phone number, 20195-15463, that's very, very difficult to remember. The way that I just gave you that 10-digit phone number, you're probably not going to remember it very well. But if I say 201-951-5463, then you're going to remember that a lot easier. Why? Because the numbers have been separated into three groups. Three numbers, three numbers, and four numbers. This is how we crunch numbers. This is how we make it easier for the brain to remember those numbers. And we can take that one step further. If you live in a specific area, there's probably an area code or area codes that are tied into that particular region. So in New Jersey, for instance, the typical area codes that you'll find will be 201-551-973. And then if we start bridging into New York City, because that's not far from uh, northern New Jersey, 917-646. And I know I'm forgetting a lot of others right now, but you get the idea. Once we remember that, it makes it much easier to remember the first combination of digits. And you're saying, well, how does this have to do with anything with music? It has to do with everything. Because our brain can only take in so much at a time. And it needs to process it like a computer would. It's the same thing with the social security number. Three digits, two digits, four digits. There's no coincidence as to why these numbers were done this way. People long ago, when they started to come up with these combinations of numbers, knew they had to do it and they understood the human mind. So they created phone numbers and social security numbers in that way so we can easily remember them. If we now bring this concept into the chromatic scale, the chromatic scale, if we start, let's say we're doing a chromatic scale that starts on the note C. From the note C up to the note B, because we're not going to include the top C, that would be including the same note twice, you have a total of 12 notes. If you try to play all 12 notes, one after another, and you're not, you don't know the chromatic scale very well, and 
you're a little overwhelmed by things, it might come out something like this. And you may say, well, that's not terrible. Now, of course, I'm. it's a little hard for me to play it poorly. I do it, <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times every single day. But I guess if I can try to do it through the mind of a student, where you get that moment where there's that little pause and you get the little loop-de-loop type of sound when you're going from certain from one note to another. Because your fingers don't want to do what they need to do for the chromatic scale. See, on something like the trumpet, the one fingering combination, actually the two fingering combinations that are not used much in the first year of playing the instrument are all three valves down and the second and third valves. Now, in terms of other instruments, you can think of those types of notes on your instrument and what notes might be a little bit weird for your fingers. They don't feel right. So, are those the notes we have to worry about the most? Believe it or not, they are not the notes that we have to worry about the most. Because the problem is not just those particular notes. It's those notes in relation to the other notes. And a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand that when you have a musical passage that is extremely challenging, you cannot just practice only that passage, which we're going to get to a little bit later on. And in the chromatic scale, it's the exact same way. See, the second note that I have to play right out of the chute is all three valves in a C chromatic scale on the trumpet. Now, I'm doing that very quickly, but it's not easy because, and, and woodwind players and keyboard players, string players may not understand this, but there's that split second that you need to depress the valves and the air has to go through the instrument. So you have to really bang those valves down quickly so the air can get through and the note can be produced. The other problem is the third finger. Our ring finger is the weakest finger on our hands. And I'm, I can do a separate podcast episode to discuss that. There are specific things I show my students because, again, the most important thing is that students want to know the why. They don't want to just be told to do things. They want to know the why. Why are we doing this? So then they understand it better. And they're not going to be perhaps as combative or uh, resist the ideas that a teacher is giving them. All right, so back to the chromatic scale we go. So right away, the first two of the first four notes on the instrument require one, two, and three, and two, and three. So 
the beginning of the scale is already a nightmare for the trumpet player. One of the things you'll notice about when I'm doing my chromatic scale, I'm slurring it. Chromatics in general for most pieces of music, when you have to do a chromatic passage, they are almost always slurred. Not every time, but a lot of times they are slurred. And when chromatic scales are asked in audition situations, at least every audition that I'm familiar with, they're, they're always slurred. So we practice it, but if you notice, I only did the first four notes. And what I tell my students to do is to keep doing those four notes over and over and over. Do it with a metronome. Start at a very slow speed and do the four notes over and over. And this is what I typically will get from students. Because what I do is I give them that information and then I watch as the students more often than not fail in what I ultimately want them to do. Watch. Or I should say, listen. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever heard, if you're a teacher, have you ever heard one of your students do that before? What I was doing at the end is completely unproductive and it's going to do nothing for the learning process. And I'll tell you where I learned this. When I was in college, I had a voice lesson and I remember walking into my voice teacher studio. Uh, he was uh, about 75 years old at the time. I was one of his last students. And I remember walking into his studio and he was so aggravated. And I didn't know what was upsetting him. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, oh, that piano player. And in the studio next to his, it was a just an open room. It wasn't an, a, an office for a faculty member. It was just an open practice room with a grand piano. And there was a student in there who was doing a passage over and over and over like this. Now, it wasn't a chromatic passage, but it was, it was a very demanding musical passage. And my voice teacher said, you know, I, I wish that was my student, but I don't feel right going up to him because he's not my student. But he went on to say that the student is learning nothing by doing that. And I said, why? And he said, because what, what has to happen is when you're playing anything on your instrument, especially something that's challenging, after you play whatever notes you're going to play, whatever the musical phrase is, you need to stop and allow your fingers, your brain, your body to digest everything that you just did and stop for a second. And then do it again. 
And then after you do it, stop again. So we learn nothing by playing the passage over and over. He said what you wind up learning is how to play that passage eight, nine, ten times in a row, and your brain is not retaining the information. It's going to be a short-term, ineffective plan. So instead, and I always have, students always do this, because they're always in such a rush to get things done. So I, I explain then, you need to do the four notes. Release your, your hand from the, the trumpet. Get your right hand off of the instrument. Take a good breath. Take it off again. Fingers back on. And by doing that, you are going to start to retain the muscle memory. Because muscle memory is everything. Whether it's music, whether it's sports, anything at all. Muscle memory is key. And you need to treat your brain like it's a computer. Okay, so now we've done just the first four notes. What's the next step? So I'll ask my students, what's the next thing that we're supposed to do? And most of them logically say, I guess we do the next four notes. And that is correct. You're going to be going to the second set of four notes. So we finished the first four. We are now going to the next four, set of four notes on the instrument, playing it the same way. Again, take those fingers off each time. Get a breath. Now on the trumpet, that second set of notes is far easier than the first set of notes. The fingerings are just, they're, they're very, very common. It's one and two, one, two, and open, which is no valves. So the second set is a breeze. And what I'll sometimes have students do is they'll play it quickly. Whoops, sticky valve. I have to ask the student to slow down. And the reason why is because one of the things that I'm insistent on is playing whatever the passage is going to be. And especially in this case, we're going to be bridging passages. We're going to be bridging the chromatic scale here. I ask them to play it only as fast as the first set. So if they can't play the first set that fast, cleanly every single time, then don't play the second set fast either. This is a great way to explain to your students about finger control. Okay, getting control of your ability level and understanding that if you take one part faster than the other, that's also going to have an adverse effect on the learning process. Okay, so let's say we master the second one. I then ask my students, what do we do next? 90% of my students will tell me to go to the third set. 
which is not correct. The correct answer is to take the first two that we've already learned and bridge them together. So before I can even say anything at all, my students are already doing this. And they may or may not get that to be perfect. The problem is that I asked them to not do what they just did. Because the issue is that you are now not learning it in sets of four anymore. Now you've taken the entire set of four and turned it into a set of eight. We're not ready to do that yet. The brain's not ready for that yet. Our fingers and our muscle memory are not ready. So we do it in a set of four and then another set of four. And what I ask students initially to do is put a little hiccup in between, like so. And what I did there, actually, is I did release my fingers in between. And then you can tell them, this time, keep your fingers on the valves the entire time, but still put that break in between. Notice that I'm tonguing the fifth note. The fifth note is being tongued to represent the second set of four. Still doing a break. Then we can bridge it together, but you're still going to put the tongue in there. Again, make sure they don't do this. That is not where we want to go. So it's going to be challenging for certain students who just want the quick fix. There is no quick fix. If you do this systematically, this is your approach. After that's mastered, we do move on to the third set. which of course does not include the top note. This particular spot on the instrument is interesting because on the trumpet, uh, notes four to five, the E flat to the E, second and third to one and two, I like to call that elision which is not a good word uh, in my vocabulary because you tend to elide and create almost one note going from two and three to one and two. And you get, instead of this, you get, you get that type of effect. And we want to make sure that two and three to one and two are very clearly separate notes and you're not just smudging the fingers or rolling the fingers because when we're doing things like that when we're finding different types of ways to to gliss notes or whatever have you and we just roll the fingers that's the effect of two and three to one and two on the trumpet we want to make sure that does not happen and with this third set it happens right away a flat to A, two and three to one and two. So we have to make sure, make sure those two notes are very clean before you go to the B flat and the B. Make 
okay, we've now mastered the entire scale. We don't have to worry about the top note because we're going to continue the process coming down. If a student is OCD and they need it, that's fine. If you want to do that, there's no harm in doing that at all. I know there are some students it drives them crazy to not be able to hear that top note. Okay, so we now have done the entire scale, or at least the ascending part of it. We're done, right? Wrong. What's the next step? What are we supposed to do? I would say about 60% of my students will say that we now do the entire scale, sets one, two, and three. This is also incorrect, because again, we don't want to bridge too much information. Think of the first set as being the area code and the phone number. The second set is the prefix, and the third set is the suffix. The suffix in a phone number, those numbers are always the most difficult to remember for two reasons. One, because there's four numbers, and two, because some of the suffixes can also be similar to a specific area. So my phone number, 201, and then followed by 951, the 951 is a fairly common prefix used in phone numbers in the northern New Jersey area. But my last four digits, 5463, that could be anything. Okay, there are 10,000 different numbers that are possible in that combination. So how does this again apply to your chromatic scale? Well, it's simple. We need to put the prefix and the suffix together. Let's not worry about the area code. Let's leave the first notes out, especially because those first four notes, at least on the trumpet, are not easy. They're very, it's very difficult to get the chromatic scale started, at least a C chromatic scale on the trumpet. So what we do instead is we do sets two and three, prefix and suffix. valve again. After you've done that, we can then put all three together. We can do it right away, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, then we cut back for a minute and we break it up into three completely different sets. And then before we do the descending portion of the scale, we're going to start to slur in. What I ask my students to do is to accent the first, fifth, and ninth notes if you, when you're going to slur. So you can slur it again in sets of, well, you can actually do it in sets of eight before we do all 12. If you notice, I leaned on that fifth note a little bit. Or if I'm doing the, the upper eight. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
And then if I were to do all 12 notes... So I'm leaning on each of those particular notes. Now coming down the scale, it's the same process. And what I, I usually do with students is I'll have them do the descending portion first and treat it the same exact way as you did the ascending portion. So... And then, of course... Because this fingering combination is obviously completely different than what you just did. It's not even remotely close. Okay, and again, I'm going a little quicker right now, just so this podcast episode isn't four hours long. And then eventually we'll put everything together. I would absolutely advocate for do, doing it this way. And it's tedious and it's irritating, but it works. You start with the first set, first and second set, second and third set, first, second, and third set. Fourth set, fourth and fifth set, sixth set, fifth and sixth set, fourth, fifth, and sixth set. If you really get technical, it's probably a good idea to bridge the third and fourth sets and then work around that. So you could do the third and fourth sets. just so we can have the turnaround. Because again, when we do the chromatic scale, we don't stop on the top note. It's all the way up and all the way down. And then work with different combinations. We need to stress with your students, and students, you need to, to really grasp this important concept. You cannot do everything at once. Don't try to do every single note of the chromatic scale at the same time. You will become so frustrated, you will get absolutely nowhere. And more importantly, even if you do get them down, more often than not, it's going to be really sloppy. And we don't want a sloppy chromatic scale. We want everything to be pristine and clean. So that's the approach that I've been using, and it ha I can't even claim it for myself. Every single private instructor I know teaches the chromatic scale in this manner, and it can be applied to all instruments. Now, talking about that difficult musical passage, it's not a heck of a lot different than what we just did with the chromatic scale. And what I'm going to do in this case is I'm going to bring up the Holst first suite in E-flat, and we're going to examine different ways to play a particular passage. So what I'd like you to do, if you do have that music available, go to the third movement, and if you find letter D, it's the 19th measure of D. This particular passage 
is so challenging for trumpet players. And it's interesting because not one of the notes is hard to play. All of the notes and the fingerings for the notes are extremely easy. Unfortunately, when you put it all together and you do measures 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and the downbeat of 24, it's really, really tough. So I'm just going to play it slowly for you, and you can just listen to it. It's the same rhythm over and over. We're in cut time. It's a quarter note, an eighth note triplet with two quarter notes, and this happens over and over all the way through, starting on the note B-flat quarter note. Okay, so that's the passage. The problem with the passage is not how difficult it already is from a technical standpoint to get it up to the speed, because we're going to need to play That's a speed we're going to need to get it at. Most conductors tend to take this at least at a tempo of 120, and some of them have even pushed it as far as 132 uh, with some, some top-notch recordings I've heard on YouTube. So, how do we play this passage? Well, we're not going to do it much differently than the other, uh, the, other, the other things we just did with the chromatic scale. However, what students need to be aware of there are two measures that stick out like sore thumbs. And those two measures are measures 21 and 22. And here's why. When you play measure 19, the first measure of this, it's extremely easy to play. That's very, very easy. And by the way, I just want to, <laughs> just because there are going to be people that may say to me, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, it's, it's not marked as being slurred. In my experience with just about every single band I've ever played in, I've never had any conductor ever ask me to play the, 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 the triplets tongue, which really sounds uh, bulky and weird. Uh, so Holst, for some reason, did not mark it as being slurred, but really, if you're going to play it the way that it needs to be played, it's in my experience, always been slurred. So I just want to set that record straight there. So the, the measure 19 is extremely easy to play. Measure 20 is also very, very easy to play. It starts on the C. Or I should say, excuse me. I want to make sure to tongue that, that, uh, that quarter note there. Now we get to measure 21. Here's the problem with measure 21. You are now going to have to adjust your lips and your airstream because the note is a D. And you're going from the D. The first note, the D, is not the problem. It's going to the first note of the triplet, which is a C, back up to the D. And you now have to change your lips. If you don't change your lip and airstream, this is what happens. Sticky valve, sorry. Did you hear that? That 
second note in the triplet is supposed to be a D, but it came out as a B flat. So we have to actually lift that note up. And there, you have to lift that note up there. That is problematic for some trumpet players. But the next measure is even worse. While we, we don't have to worry about the lipping and the changing of the airstream, we do have to worry about the first note of measure 22 there, this, the 22nd measure of D, which is an E. And as we know, concert D on brass instruments, uh, the, the, the one that's the, on the fourth space on the staff is on almost all brass instruments is extremely flat. So we have to lip that note up as well. So we have all these different things going on. What I ask my students to do with this passage is to work on the two most difficult measures first, the measure 21 and 22. Work on them separately and then bridge them together. 21 because of the change of the lip from C to D to C, and then measure 22 because the E has to be raised. We then will bridge those measures together, and then ultimately, of course, with this, no, no different than the chromatic scale, Excuse me. Okay, so we put those two measures together. The next step is going to be to play all of the measures, but if they're not clean, you're going to have to go back to doing just one measure at a time, then adding a measure, then adding a measure, then doing measures before. So what we could do is we could do measures 20 and 21 back to back. And then ultimately, I ask my students to do the entire passage, but with a hiccup in between, putting a little bit of a rest. the idea. Then, so I'm putting a slight rest in between. This is highly effective. And what I then will go on to say to students is the whole reason that you need to do all of this is because you ultimately have to get this particular passage in this particular piece of music for this particular trumpet part. You have to have it memorized. You can't be looking at the music. And the reason why is because of everything before and after it. When I've prepared students for auditions and my, my two students who were, were going to be working on this and preparing for their audition, which is going to be coming up very, very soon. They're playing this extremely well now because they've developed a game plan and it has to do with their breathing. If you can't get this passage at the 120 that's necessary. You're going to have to breathe in some weird spots. And the one thing that we know about the first suite in E flat is, well, it's a bear. 
the, the final page for just about every single instrument in the entire band is very demanding. And the first trumpet part is tough. It's just, it's all about stamina. It's all about perseverance. It's all about breathing. And you have to get to the point where the notes just fall into place and you're not even thinking about it at all. You're just making sure to approach it appropriately. And that's what I spent the most time doing with my students. So it's not just those six measures. It's those six measures in relation to everything that's before and after it. Because we then worked on bridging those six measures to the material, perhaps six measures before that, or six measures after that, or two measures before, two measures after, what have you. And then eventually we put the entire piece together. I hope that these suggestions are going to be helpful to you between the chromatic scale and just a little bit of insight as to just one more way to teach students how to work on demanding musical passages. Be well.